You're now listening to the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Brandon Hall and Thomas Costelli here. And today we're going to talk about the latest on Biden's proposed tax changes that have just been released. Yeah, yeah. Released, uh, I guess this is coming out Tuesday. So released last Thursday. Um, They've got a new framework. $1.8 $1.8 trillion, roughly $1.8 trillion or so of spending, of social spending. And we're not going to go into the actual, like what's in the meat of the plan in terms of what they're going to spend the money on. But we want to talk about what tax changes are coming down the pipeline and what you should be doing as a real estate investor to prepare for these tax changes. While we all know minimizing taxes are important to growing your portfolio, before we jump right in, another important aspect of growing your portfolio is making sure you have the right accounting system in place. And while there are plenty of general business accounting software options out there, they're not designed for landlords managing rental properties and can feel clunky and overly complex. Landlord Studio, on the other hand, is designed specifically for do-it-yourself landlords. They offer a full suite of tools designed to help landlords save time with their income and expense tracking, as well as property management tasks like rent collection, rental listings, lease management, and tenant screening. One thing I found particularly impressive was its ability to connect bank accounts to view and reconcile transactions from inside the software. And by using Landlord Studio's mobile app, you can digitize your receipts and the software automatically lifts and imports the receipts details. Landlord Studio is also a great way to stay tax compliant, particularly as they offer a number of different financial reports, including Schedule E, where rental properties are reported on your Form 1040. You can learn more about Landlord Studio by heading to www.landlordstudio.com CPA. Again, that's landlordstudio.com CPA. We'll drop that link in the show notes below, but for now, we'll jump right into today's episode. First thing, I guess I want to point out what's not in the bill that might be helpful for people to understand. Yeah. There's no mentions of 1031 exchanges, right? Which is good. They will not be having the billionaire tax in there. There's going to be something, a little, a little variation of that, which we'll talk about. Well, yeah, the wealth tax they, they removed, but they, they did add a, an income surtax. So it's like an extra few percentage points if you earn a certain amount of money, but the wealth tax. So you, so you can, so all your billions are safe. <laughs> the <Tom>. billions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. All my billions. Yeah. Please, if I had billions, I, I don't know that I'd be talking about taxes right now, but. Um, <laughs> What anyway. would you be talking about? <laughs> How nice the the wind feels in your hair on your yacht? <laughs> yeah, I probably either that or I'd be talking about all, all the real estate that I'm going to accumulate. But uh, either way, billions, if you're a billionaire and you're listening to this podcast, you're safe. There's nothing about <laughs> billions in there. Um, there's if you're a billionaire and you're listening to this podcast, shoot us a little note. We would uh, we'd love to hear from you. That'd be cool. Maybe we'll bring you on the show. Trying to think what some of the other things that people were concerned about um, that were going to be in the bill. Okay, so there's stepped no, up basis. Yeah, stepped up basis is not in the bill. They're not changing that, so you could still you know die and pass the assets onto your heirs at fair market value, right? So when you pass away, you can give your heirs all of your assets, and they inherit them at stepped up basis, meaning at fair market value. So their basis is now equal to fair market value, meaning that they can sell them and not pay tax on them. And originally Biden had campaigned on uh, reducing that or eliminating that, but that's not in the bill either. So 1031 is not in the bill. Stepped up basis, not in the bill. Billionaire wealth tax, not in the bill. What else is not in the bill? 
Another big one is uh, the IRA for anybody out there who invests in syndicates and was concerned that you would not be able to invest in syndicates any longer if you need to be an accredited investor to, to actually make that investment or that you'd have to remove assets that are already in your IRA because of this rule that's gone. So that means you could still invest in syndications through your self-directed IRA and you do not have to remove the assets you currently have in there. So that's big news. It's a relief for a lot of people out there who were concerned about that provision impacting their their ability to continue to invest in real estate. Yeah. Two, two other things that were notably not in this bill that were in the prior bill, or the, the first bill that was released in like end of September, the bank reporting requirements that caused a lot of uproar, that's no longer there. They, they do have a clearinghouse $600 transaction requirement, but it's not bank reporting. So a little bit less of a, I guess, a privacy issue there, depending on how you view that. But uh, but that was nice to see that the bank lobby won out on that. And the the other thing that was not in the bill that was kind of interesting was the conservation easement limitations. And we're not recommending this strategy because it's being aggressively attacked right now in the tax court. I'm just going to explain to you how it works. So an investor can buy a piece of land and then donate that piece of land to a land trust. And that donation, they basically place an easement on the land that doesn't allow anybody to develop the land further. So you protect the land by placing the easement on it. When you make the donation of the land to the land trust, you get to deduct as a charitable contribution on Schedule A, as an itemized deduction, you get to deduct the value of the easement. So the easement's value is calculated from the future development value minus the cost or the purchase price. So if I buy land for 100,000 and I get an appraisal that shows that if I develop the land out, it'll be worth 250,000. And then I go and donate that to a land trust, I get to deduct the spread of 150K as a charitable contribution. So I put a, I bought it for 100, but then I get 150K charitable contribution. Now there's syndications out there that you can invest in. And uh, and I don't know that you can invest in them anymore because of how heavily the IRS has been attacking the conservation space. But there are, there are conservation easement like syndications out there that you can invest in. The problem that the IRS is attacking is the uh, the appraised value. So they, they think that these easements or these syndications are inflating the appraisals. Uh, so you'd put $100,000 in and then you'd receive like 250K of charitable contributions, which would yield, you know, like 120K of tax savings. So you put 100K in and you get 120K of tax savings back immediately. A pretty sweet deal for the taxpayer, right? Obviously, though, um, you know, potential for abuse and uh, and the IRS doesn't like it. So they, they've been auditing like every single easement since 2016. And what was in the bill, the bill that was released in September was a retroactive disallowance of anybody that's invested in conservation easements where their benefit or their charitable contribution was greater than 2.5 times their investment amount. So if I put 100K in and I got a $270,000 charitable contribution, the entire amount would be disallowed. And that was going all the way back to investments that you'd made in 2016, 17, 18, and 19, and 20. So it was a big retroactive tax. And that was stripped out of this bill. So there's no retroactive tax on conservation easements. There's nothing in here about conservation easements. There is a lot of funding for conservation, but nothing related to the taxation of conservation easements. And regardless of where you stand on conservation easements itself, I'm glad that there's not a retroactive tax like that. And, and same thing with the IRAs as well. It's just, 
you, you write the code, people make decisions on the code at the time that it's available. Uh, and a retroactive tax like that would be, I, that would have been really, really painful. It would have been painful to litigate. It probably would have gone through several rounds of constitutional challenges as well. So I'm glad that they stripped that out just to really honestly not waste taxpayer money trying to fight it all. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but again, don't go and invest in conservation easements. This is not endorsement. You do not go and invest in conservation easements. You will get audited. Don't just don't do it. Just don't do it. For sure. Definitely don't want to do that. So let's talk about what's in the bill. The first thing that's in the bill is the corporate alternative minimum tax. It's a 15% minimum tax on corporations, just trying to get them to pay their fair share. There's a lot of excise tax changes. There's a lot of uh, international tax changes that we're not really going to go into. They call them outbound and inbound tax changes in the bill itself, uh, but we're not going to really dive into that. All right. So one of the things that is in the bill is the change to the wash sale rules. And we had discussed this, I think, either on a Facebook Live or in an article I wrote, I think, for Tax Smart Investors, that uh, the wash sale rules basically applied to stocks and securities. What happens is when you sell a stock or security at a loss and then later on buy it back within 30 days, you're unable to take that loss. That loss is basically not available to you. And because cryptocurrency is treated as property, those wash sale rules do not apply to cryptocurrency, but now they're modifying those rules to basically include cryptocurrency. So for everybody out there who is trading crypto, if you're buying in and out of different crypto assets, you will be subject to the wash sale rules. So it's just something you want to keep in mind that some of these losses that you're accumulating, if you're going ahead and buying back the asset within 30 days, uh, you're not going to be able to take those losses to offset some of the gains that you had from the cryptocurrency. Yep. Also in the bill is the expansion of the net investment income tax to now be taxed on trader business income of high income individuals. So the net investment income tax is a 3.8% surtax that applies to passive income, interest, I think dividends, maybe um, capital gains, stock sales, anything like that. When you're, I believe when you're modified adjusted gross income or your adjusted gross income is above $250,000. But now what they're doing is they're expanding the application of that 3.8% tax to also include income derived in the ordinary course of a trader business when your taxable income is greater than 400K if you're single, or when your taxable income is greater than 500K if you're a joint filer. Now, what this is really doing is it's assessing, like if you have a 500K W-2 job and then you invest in like a syndication and they provide you with a $10,000 profit allocation, what's happening is this income is going to be subject to a 3.8% surtax, even though it's rental income, which actually it would be anyway. Uh, what's another example? Another example would be like if you... Let's say that you run your own business and you make 500K as a W-2 employee from your own business, but then you take like you, you take an additional 200K of distributions from just profit allocations that you didn't pay out as part of your wages. Well, historically, and, and for S corporation owners too, this is where it's going to come into effect. You know, historically, you would just pay the FICA tax, the uh, Social Security tax, and the Medicare tax on the $500,000 of wages that you paid yourself. The remaining 200K of profits that you take out as distributions, you wouldn't have any FICA taxes associated. But the net investment income tax expansion, that's what they're doing there. They're saying, well, the additional 200K that you didn't pay yourself as W 2 wage, you're going to owe a 3.8% surtax on that additional $200,000. So it's just basically just think of it as like every dollar 
over $500,000 is going to be subject to a 3.8% surtax one way or the other, because it's either going to be subject to a 3.8 surtax through my W-2 income as it is, because that's Medicare, right? So if I have a million dollar W-2, well, it's all subject to that 3.8% surtax anyway, just as part of my W-2. But any additional income that I earn now is also going to be subject to that 3.8% surtax. That's the easy way to think about it. So kind of disappointing, but it's there to close that 3.8% loophole avoidance, specifically with S-corporation owners. Another one that's interesting is the limitation on excess business losses. So Section 461L was implemented back in 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, but then the CARES Act in 2020 pressed pause on it and pushed it to actually be implemented in 2021. So if you're listening to this right now, you're subject to this right now. But excess business losses, this bill, the Biden bill, made it permanent. Now, the way that they word it, though, is it says that they're going to permanently disallow excess business losses. So you have to go to the actual bill text to understand what that actually means. And all they're doing is they're just they're changing up some definitions to say that we're always going to have excess business losses going forward. It's never going to expire is essentially what they're saying. They're not saying that you can't claim losses in excess of your business income because they're not changing the definition of excess business losses. And the definition of an excess business loss is all of your deductions, so like all of your business losses added into or netted out against all of your business income plus 500K if you're married or 250K if you're single. So what does that mean? So if I have $100,000 of business income and I'm married, I can claim $600,000 of business losses. If I have $601,000 of business losses in total, then the first 600K is not considered an excess business loss. The remaining $1,000 is an excess business loss. Does that make sense, Tom? Am I explaining that okay? I think you did. Uh, but just to just kind of reiterate the point. So basically, it, it's limiting the amount of losses you could take from your business against your other non-business income. Most notably for right. most listeners out there, it's probably going to be your W-2 income or your spouse's W-2 income. So if you have... Sometimes stock sales, if you like got a big equity position. Oh yeah, for sure. No, that stuff is all included in that because it's non-business income on capital assets that are not from a trade or business. But basically, if you had like, just give another example, if you had a million dollars of losses and the cap was $600,000, the $400,000 of losses that are in excess of the amount that's allowed will be carried forward into the future years when you can use those losses. It just means that you can't completely offset your income if your losses are above the excess business loss. Right, right, right. So, So just... Everybody out there that was like, oh, no, I can't take any losses anymore. Yeah, you can. They haven't touched the definition of an excess business loss. And again, that definition is business losses in excess of business income, but those losses are in excess of 500K. (laughs) Your total losses in excess of your business income plus 500K. So if your total losses are more than your total business income plus 500K, that is an excess business loss. Exactly. Exactly. That's... Hope that's clear for everybody out there because uh, we deal with this all the time. But believe it or not, it's it's harder to explain sometimes than than it may seem. But there you go. <laughs> all right, all right. So then another change. So like we said, there is no wealth tax. So all the billionaires again take another deep sigh of relief because that law is not included in this bill. But what is included is a surtax for certain high income individuals estates and trusts, right? So if your modified adjusted gross income is going to be in excess of $10 million, 
then basically there's going to be a 5% surtax on top of that. And then if your your modified adjusted gross income is in excess of 25 million, there's going to be another 3% for a total of 8%. So if you're making that type of money, well, you're just going to have another 5% to 8% tax on top of your ordinary income tax rates and everything you're already subject to, which is- That's going to be expensive for you, Tom. And then yeah, you make I, like 30 million a year or something like that, right? Like, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm about to flee the country over. Are you kidding me? I'm about to go to Puerto Rico. <laughs> All right, you know, there's, they have they have uh, Puerto Rico. You know, if you if you do things right in Puerto Rico, there's basically no tax on certain types of income. So. <laughs> they did have something in here uh, about the extension of supplemental security income to Puerto Rico. I don't think that I didn't read much on it though. But if you're thinking about fleeing to Puerto Rico, you should read that section first just to make sure. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I, I'll say this. You know, I'm completely joking about Puerto Rico. Look, every, every it's not time, about the thirty million dollars though. No, that that's serious, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, but no. For, for, in all seriousness, the Puerto Rico thing. You know, now that I mentioned, I have to close the loop on it. There's a lot of uh, sometimes a lot of people come to come. At least in my experience, have came to me and said, "Oh, yeah. you know, if I move to Puerto Rico, what's the tax? What's the tax? Uh, I heard I could pay no taxes." And the reality is, in order to actually execute that strategy, you need to actually move to Puerto Rico and like move everything to Puerto Rico and. No one I know ever actually executed it. Once they hear that you have to basically be a full-time resident of Puerto Rico and that you actually have to move your entire life there, essentially, people are like, oh, I think I like the United States. I'll just pay my tax. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just a little tangent we went on today. But uh, just for anybody out there who's wondering about that sexy Puerto Rico strategy, how viable is it? Not very. Yeah. United States, I mean, we haven't made. We haven't made. I don't know why uh, people say they want to leave and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, it's the best country in the world to run businesses. So uh, next, next edition. So I mean, that's pretty much it on the tax increase. I mean, there's no real tax increases in here guys. So, so, you know, our, our kind of cliffhanger at the beginning of this, where it's like, stay on because we want to tell you what to do, what you need to do to, you know, avoid the tax and do some tax planning. Well, guess what? If, <laughs> if you're not making 10 million bucks, you're, you're pretty much solid. I mean, if you're, if you're running an S corporation, and you're making, you know, you're netting, netting five, six, seven hundred K. You probably want to talk talk with your advisor about that three point eight percent surtax, but I don't know, man. Other than that, it's pretty uh pretty vanilla. Yeah. And you know, this is the thing that always kills me about proposed tax bills, right? Is that they have all this hubbubaloo about these proposed taxes. There's multiple revisions. And then then the final bill almost never looks like what they proposed. I mean, it, I think that was my experience with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act too. If I recall, I think there was a bunch of stuff that was supposed to be in it that didn't make it in or that yeah. was trimmed down or cut back. And it just it's just very frustrating because they put all this information out there. People try to make plans of it. That's why I always tell my clients too, you can't make plans of proposed tax changes, really. I, you could you could maybe see, okay, well, that might be what's coming up the pike. But as you could see, almost nothing that was in the original proposed bill actually made it into you know what's likely to come to fruition at this point. So it's, you know, just be wary of proposed tax changes is what I'm trying to say. Oh, dude, another one that we missed was the long-term capital gain tax increase. That That's no longer in the bill either because you talking about that reminded me of it. Like, oh, we had all these people during the summer saying, I'm selling my properties to avoid this long-term capital gain tax increase. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. And you, so that didn't make it in. Neither did the, the increase from 37% to 39%. Point, yeah. uh, what was 39.6% at the top rate of ordinary income. That's That's gone too. And to me, that wasn't even that. I mean... 
it's rough, but I mean, it was, it was a minor thing that they just, they just cut out completely. So, yeah. 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 I mean, you're totally right. You can't make tax moves based on proposals and, and, and to be totally fair to everybody out there listening, this is still a proposal too, at least as of Friday, when we recorded this episode on October 29th, 2021. So, um, it's still a proposal. It hasn't been voted on, hasn't been enacted into law or anything like that. Apparently, there's still a little bit of discontent within the Democratic Party. So I don't know if it's going to get passed, uh, but we will be holding a webinar when it does get passed. And if you want to join that webinar, make sure that you go and join the Facebook group that we have, facebook.com slash groups slash tax smart investors. So go join that, that group to make sure you don't miss out. But there's one more, one more big change that I wanted to bring up. And this will impact everybody listening to this podcast. The IRS is getting a pretty significant amount of funding. And that funding is primarily being allocated to enforcement, taxpayer enforcement. So the IRS is being allocated $44 billion of taxpayer money to go and enforce the tax laws. Now, what does that mean? That means that audits are going to ramp up. That That's the expectation. So everybody listening to this podcast, you need to go and make sure that your prior three years tax returns, that they're all buttoned up. Your tax positions look good. If you're claiming real estate professional status, if you've got short-term rentals, or if you're doing something else that requires substantial documentation, make sure that you get that documentation in order today. If this bill passes, I would expect that these enforcement efforts will ramp up probably mid-2022. And they can go back three years. So your pr- your prior three tax returns filed. So just uh, just be aware that they are being uh, this pretty significant increase in funding for the IRS, and they're going to be hiring agents to come after you. <laughs> and you know, you know something that's interesting though. This has been pretty consistent throughout all the proposals. So this this one is likely you know, it to probably come to fruition in the final bill. Uh, so it's something you will want to take seriously. Now, for all these CPAs listening out there, I know what you're thinking. 44 billion, you know, maybe it's time to go work for the IRS, but that's not what you should do. Instead, you should come work for the real estate CPA. You want to know why? Because we, we're going to have a few new positions open uh, coming up in the next few weeks. And if you're a CPA out there, you're listening to this podcast, you have a passion for real estate, you have real estate experience, uh, you're gonna wanna come and uh, submit an application over to us if you're interested in uh, coming aboard the team because we're gonna have a few openings uh, and we'd love to have you on board. That was smooth, bro. That was real hey, smooth. I mean, that was that, that was my- uh, that slid was, right into that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I saw I saw the perfect opportunity as I saw that, I'm like, oh, I gotta gotta take take advantage of that. But no, for yeah. real, seriously, we are, we are hiring people um, in the senior tax position, a few other roles. Um, so if you are interested in potentially working with us, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, come work for the good guys, not the bad guys. We're, we're growing our team by 40%, you know, this tax year, 2021, really the last year and a half have been the hardest that I've ever experienced as a business owner, like ever. COVID just wreaked havoc on capacity management and staffing. And we didn't realize it until too late. So, you know, we, we, uh, we, we struggled. Tax season did not live up to my expectations. So what we're doing is we're, we're growing our team by 40%. We're, we're making a massive investment into our workforce to provide better client experience, to get deliverables out timely and accurately 
and take the edge off of tax season for our current staff, give them the appropriate support that they need to do their jobs well, set them up for success. And uh, this is a big move for us, man. We haven't done something like this. I mean, we're, we're talking about spending what, $700,000 on new employees. We're looking at about eight to 10 new employees that we're trying to hire. So seriously, if you're, if you're out there and you're, you've been thinking, you know, you like, you like Tom and Brandon, you like our voice, our voices sound like butter because we use these super expensive mics. <laughs> so if you're, if you're out there thinking, man, I really like Tom and Brandon. I want to go work for those guys or we sound smart. We don't, we, we just read whatever our team writes on these podcasts. We don't. <laughs> but seriously, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, you can email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com. Or if you know of any accountants that need to be rescued from large stuffy firms, uh, have them email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com. Uh, we'll send you over to our job site, which we're trying to get integrated with our website, but uh, program we use is a little finicky. But anyway... Just email us and we'll uh, we'll slot you in for an interview. Yeah, man. I mean, we're trying to trying to blow this thing up in a good way, you know, in a smart, smart people first way, people focused way. Hundred percent. And that's I think all she wrote for me. So um, we'll stay on this. If there's any additional changes, we'll let everybody know. Obviously, we'll do another podcast. And like I said, if you want the final version. You know, you want final confirmation of what's actually being enacted, go join the our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash tax smart investors. We'll be running the webinar later on this year for members of that group. All right. So that's all she wrote for today, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode next Tuesday. And until then, happy investing. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.